Once you are self-aware, you must make a change. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Millionaire Woman Show, where we have guests from around the globe that are going to inspire, motivate, and educate you in areas of life, leadership, and business. Today, my special guest, I'm so excited, you guys, that Gregory B. Davis, he's an author, publisher of Choices Seminar Lead, where I have met him. It's, uh, it is yeah, just last year, I was trying to think about when that was, Greg. And uh, it has been a phenomenal journey. Um, I highly recommend it, the Choice Seminars program. Gregory B. Davis is the author of Fight or Flight. And this is the cover of the book. Just want to make sure you guys see it. And uh, make better decisions to enjoy your life. Self-publishing his work marks a key achievement dreamed journey for Gregory. Mr. Davis was diagnosed with dyslexia at the age of five. His reading disability was a constant struggle throughout school, but neither his family nor himself thought of it as a roadblock. Through it all, he learned to enjoyment of reading against advisory. He gained fluency in Spanish later in life as a second language. He successfully graduated from San Marcos High, continued his education at Texas A&M University in College Station, where he received a bachelor's degree in finance and ultimately received his international MBA from Thunderbird. In addition, Mr. Davis served two years in the Peace Corps in Honduras, developing small businesses. Mr. Davis joined the American workforce as a consultant working for Cadbury and Dr. Pepper until his life was touched by cancer. At the age of 33, the diagnosis drove his life direction in, into new old arenas as he searched for a manner in which to have more profound impact in his life. Gregory was raised in a family that believed in the importance of personal betterment. His grandmother and parents became deeply committed when his grandmother, Thelma Box, founded personal growth program, Choices Seminars, in the early 1980s, which is still in operation. He grew up observing and participating in conversations and processes, and then post-cancer, and still today, he leads the processes himself. Mr. Davis has a real passion for personal growth and learning, but now importantly, he has found his purpose in helping others and seeing them advance in their life. And it is Choices Seminars that he has found a place to provide anyone and everyone with an opportunity to improve their life. I've seen and learned that everyone has the power within to create successful life of their own, starting today, says Gregory. One of his biggest wins is the Development and Presentation Choices Men's Weekend, which was created as a space for men to have male relationships and discuss male topics, and he believes this is crucial. In 2015 and 2019, his life changed again. Upon the arrival of his son and then his daughter, 
This added to his drive of becoming a better man and added to the mission of passing such wisdom to his kids. Such ideas became a core of his second book, Wisdom is the Beginning, currently in process, and we can't wait for that. <laughs> and Gregory has the desire to write and publish books since the early 2000s. He's written a number of drafts, which have been stepping stones to his most recent publication, Fight or Flight, Make Better Decisions to Enjoy Your Life. His years of experience in Choices Seminars, Choices Men's Weekend, and Choices Teen and Family Camp has given him firsthand experience to learn about relationships, human interactions, and personal development. Today, along with his research, he is committed to write books for people who want to improve their lives. An ultimate goal of Gregory's for his books is for readers to take away one item that will impact them today and the rest of their lives. Gregory B. Davis lives with his wife and kids in the hill country of Austin, Texas. Please welcome my dear friend, Gregory B. Davis. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh my goodness, Deborah! I'm so happy to be here. I'm really, really excited to be celebrating your four anniversary. That is wonderful. Yes, it is four years of podcasting today. I am so excited to be interviewing you and launching this today so that everybody has this new, fresh perspective. And I'm all about making sure that people know that it just takes one nugget, whether it be from a podcast, from a book, because I know a lot of my friends and colleagues, they're, they're avid readers. And they'll be like, I'm reading this book. What are you reading now? And I'm like, you know what? What is the one thing you're taking away from the book that you just read? I think we're so quick to consume. It's mm -hmm. where implementation and taking away something that could change our lives, a simple concept. So I'm excited to talk to, about the fight or flight concept because mm -hmm. we're talking about emotional intelligence a lot on the show and um, that those amygdala hijacks, I, when I started reading your book, I'm like, okay, he's, he's got to come on the show. He's got to talk <laughs> about this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think it, what a wonderful introduction. It's perfectly sets up what we're going to talk about today. The uh, book, it talks, the first half is about any individual and how they make their decision process and how the fight or flight response can really, really mess up and put them into short-term thinking. And then the last half of the book is more about relationships, your, your key relationships in your life. And once again, how the fight or flight hijacking, hijacking as you say, uh, can really cause problems with that person closest to you. Yeah. So I think if people take away one thing, whether it be general thing or something that they can take in their relationships, whether it's being in their personal relationships, could be in the workplace, could be in their businesses Absolutely. of how, how they react to different situations. Because we do know that we can have a choice of to be responsive or be reactive. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of choice. That's right. Hence the choices seminars, right? Everything's <laughs> That's right. Everything's a choice. That's right. <laughs> so let's start off telling us a little bit about yourself. You know, I okay. talked to you a little bit about, you know, in the bio about dyslexia. I'm mm -hmm. curious, like, how has it impacted your childhood and adult mm -hmm. life today? In my, so in my childhood, it was a, a really a big, huge impact. It's probably when I look back the most challenging thing I faced as a child, for sure. Because I think every child wants to be like the other children. They want to be like their best friends, like the cool kids, right? And 
me sitting in a classroom from a very, very young age, I knew I was different. And I had proof that I couldn't write as well, I couldn't spell as well. I would never be in front of the, the classroom writing on the board. That was like a sheer terror for me. And I made a lot of decisions in my childhood, my early childhood, that I kept with me until much, much later in life that frankly didn't work well for me. And in short, it was about me hiding out and trying to cover up that aspect of who I was. And today I know that's the exact opposite of the, of the most healthy, most empowering way for me to my, live my life. But as a child, I wanted to be like my very best friend who could spell any word and find any word in a dictionary. And every single day of my, of my grade school and childhood, I had proof that, that I was much slower and not as apt to uh, get that job done as, as anyone else in my room. And it was tough as a little boy, it really was. Yeah. So, you know, we have parents, we have, you know, teachers, a um, number of people in different mm -hmm. um, occupations that listen to the show. And, you know, when we talk about the stories that we tell ourselves, we talk about the tapes that play in our heads and how that impacts us into adult mm -hmm. life um, twofold. What would you tell people who are in... Um, an authority figure position or mm -hmm. some someone that you know a child might look up to mm -hmm. about the stories so that they understand the stories and the that we tell ourselves from an early age how how can they help change those stories earlier mm -hmm. than what they you know us carrying those stories for 20 years yeah. That's, that's a fabulous question. This, is, this would be my experience in that, I think recognizing that there is a story there may be the hardest step or may have been the hardest step for me, I'll own it for me. Mm -hmm. And if uh, it was very difficult for me to even go to a teacher, let's just, say, let's just say a teacher in this respect and tell them what was going on, how what I was, the challenges were for me and what services I need in order to be successful in the classroom that conversation was difficult. And whenever I didn't have it, it didn't go well for me in the classroom. Probably what if a teacher, and I know the teachers knew what was going on, there's something going on with Greg, you know, something different about Greg. If they had just stopped and said the words, pretty much like you had just said, what are you telling yourself right now, Greg? What are, you, what are you thinking about yourself and what about your dyslexia? And for me at a younger age to even consider that question, I think that could have been very eye-opening. I'm guessing my parents probably said those words to me, but there's something, something special about it coming from a teacher or an authority figure or a trusted person versus a parent that, that a child can hear differently. And so that would probably be the one thing I would suggest to ask the question. Yeah. And I think not, not only with dyslexia, but um, when kids feel different, I think it's really mm -hmm. important for those, you know, mentors or coaches or parents you know the teacher anyone who like like you said you wanted to be your like your best friend it could have even been your best friend to mm -hmm. say hey what are you telling yourself i i know that uh, i've seen athletes or amateur athletes you know especially get under performance anxiety so same mm -hmm. thing in the classroom right people are watching and for some people that pressure added pressure helps them perform better but for mm -hmm. others depending on the story that they're telling themselves, it can help them 
or hinder them yeah. in performing much, much worse. Absolutely. That was my case. I think I was a, I was a structured little boy. You know, I, I knew how to get things done and accomplish goals in my young life. But the extra added pressure of I've got to do well on this test. And I, I can't misspell this word and I must read this correctly. Just put me into more of an anxiety around testing and like that added stress wasn't uh, was not helpful for me. Was not helpful for me. So how did you break the pattern? Mm -hmm. Well, it took many years of gritting my teeth and talking to, to first teachers and then professors in college. And then once I realized, in really in grad school, that I had value, that it was always there, but until I saw it, until I saw that I had, I knew a lot about this area that I could help others, that I was really smart and with numbers, mm -hmm. then I started to think, I'm just being really hard on myself. I don't have to be smart in every area. I don't have to excel in every area. I just have to excel in a few areas. And that's where the world is going to really compensate me and reward me in my life. Yeah. And I, then that, then it was like a, a, a match struck in that moment. I can still remember it in, in graduate school. And then from there, my whole perspective changed. It's exactly what you were talking about. It changed from, be a good little boy, Greg, try to hide out, raise your hand when you know the answer, sit up front so the teachers will pass you by, to wanting to raise my hand because I wanted to put myself out there and go for it and risk. And it took into my, it took into my mid early or mid twenties before that clicked for me. But finally it clicked. That's the important thing. Right. And I find it fascinating. Like, you know, there could have been people along the way to remind you saying, Greg, you have value, you, you have mm -hmm. great things. But until we as individuals have that openness to self-awareness, nothing will change. That's right. Right. We have to have, I've, I love the metaphor that you use as, you know, a match striking. It's that mm -hmm. aha moment, that eureka moment where it's like, okay, I think I, I just got this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it finally makes sense what everybody's been telling me for the past 20 years that the biggest yeah. fans in my life have been cheering for me and I couldn't see or hear it. It's, I think it goes really well with what you're saying about the books. You can, I can sit here and read a book all day and it's wonderful and I put it aside and if I don't do anything with the knowledge gained, nothing's going to change in my life. When I consciously say, I'm going to take that and put it into my life and work it, Mm -hmm. That's when really cool things start to happen. Whenever you take on that attitude of action, of now, of betterment, it's, it, it's true. It's the truth. But until you actually experience that, then yeah. things are going to remain the same and those internal beliefs are going to keep driving mm -hmm. me down and you down. And, you know, why is it, or maybe what is it, that um, people shy away from that personal betterment? Hmm. That, that, that is a good question because that's a really good question, Deborah. Here's my point of view on that is because I think, I think we're similar in that respect in that we want, I want personal betterment. I want Deborah to give me feedback on how it went today and how, what she thinks about my book. I look forward, I welcome it. I don't see it as criticism. I see it as her sharing information with me that she cares enough about me to better my life. Mm -hmm. And that may be the biggest roadblock is that, you know what? not perfect I have more things to do more growth to have in my life and, and and many people 
it's hard for your friends to hear what your friends have to say and your loved ones, but it's a form of love for them to actually share the word with you. Because mm -hmm. really, most people are coming with pure intention, right? Yeah. They're not coming to be malicious or, you know, take you down. And sometimes it's a matter of the delivery of it, um, oh, yeah, the tone yeah. of it, right? So, so many different things that can impact it. But for the, for the most part, I would say people are coming with good intent. Yeah. And I think maybe, and this is getting a little deeper in the conversation, however, we all have internal fears. We all have things that we're struggling with, period, all of us. Mm -hmm. And whenever someone gives us, someone loved one says, you know what, hey, this is how you can better yourself. I think it goes to that fear or around that fear. And it, it does sting a bit. It can sting a bit when you see it as maybe uh, a punishment or a criticism versus information and possible growth. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some, some individuals that, you know, I, I've experienced that you know, when I don't do personal growth and um, mm -hmm. I think it's also the fear that they're less than, right? Mm -hmm. they, they don't think all of a sudden they're not good enough or the other person's better. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it's not about that at all. It's just the other person realized that they had a lot of things to work on improving mm -hmm. and decided to work on betterment to right. continually grow. We, we, can all, we can all be better. And I think that's a true winner in my mind when someone says, you know what, I'm pretty, I like my life. I love my life. I'm a good person. Now I'm going for a better. Now I'm going for great. Total respect for that individual with that mindset. Yeah. Why settle for good when you know it could be even better? right? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So life gives us many turning points and transitions. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, I call it a golden thread that if we look at different events <laughs> in our lives to lead us to where we are. Um, mm -hmm. But you, you were touched by cancer at the age right. of 33. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more how that, you know, obviously it's a pivot. It's a shock to the system. Yeah. Right. Tell us a little bit about your journey because I know you know, you start off in the book really talking about how that has impacted you. So, mm -hmm. you know, that fight or flight experience. So can you tell us a little bit more about mm -hmm. how this has impacted you and how, how you've moved forward from it? Yes. So it was, it was a shock to the system because I was kind of, I had built, I was 33, I had built over the previous 33 years a life that I really wanted. I was married. I had a dog, I had a great place to live, I had a car, I had a wonderful job and friends. I can remember standing at my 33rd birthday, uh, invited friends and coworkers, and the, th the theme of the party was things that I loved. So we had hummus, we had chocolate chip cookies, we had champagne. I didn't care if they went together. Those are the things I loved. <laughs> That's all great. <laughs> and I can remember, I have a clear view of looking over that party and thinking, my life is wonderful. I. It's true, I built a wonderful life. And then in that summer, uh, a little bit later, like six months later, approximately, I was diagnosed. And that was not part of my plan. That was, I was healthy, I ate well, I exercised, and this does not, was not supposed to happen to me, although cancer doesn't care about that at all. Yeah. And what it did was, I went back into the corporate world after chemotherapy and, and worked for uh, six months or so. But the drive, the passion, it was like, it's like, you know what, Greg, that, that is not important anymore. I have, you've had a real reset. 
I remember walking down the street, my head was totally bald and I'm sure I looked fine when I was in the middle of chemotherapy and I was thinking these people have no idea what I'm dealing with, what the pain is of this moment right now, not only physically, but emotionally, it was a huge weight. And I was thinking, I have to live my purpose. I have to create more joy in this world. And working with Corporate America, while it was very rewarding in many ways, wasn't rewarding in all ways for me. And I took a step, a step back and had a conversation with my family. And that's really what led me into choices into the family business of choices mm -hmm. seminars. And I feel like I give people an opportunity every time I'm in that room to have more joy in their life. They may have a different word for it, but that's my, my word, word for them is that they have a life that's full of joy. And while, I, while it was like a bad dream today, cancer is like a bad dream. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm blessed for the reset it gave me and the direction it took me in today. Yeah. And it's it's interesting how it it's often a major life event that mm -hmm. comes up for someone to have that reset or to really pursue their passion. Mm -hmm. Really say, you know what, this is so much more important to me that I need to take a chance on me. And, and yeah. I think that people don't always take a chance on themselves. Hmm. it's funny that's a good point that it takes something kind of well for me incredibly drastic life-threatening mm -hmm. in order to get me set straight on the path that I believe today I was meant to be on and that I'm enjoying more than I could ever really imagine yeah and you are very skilled at what you do um, I've witnessed yeah. to being part of the choices seminars as a participant and uh, you're very skilled at what you do. And I'm, I'm glad the path has taken you that. Me too. I look forward to the next seminar. <laughs> I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm ready to get back into I it. I know. <laughs> so tell us about what it is like growing up around the Choices Seminars. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. That's an interesting question. I've talked about that a few times. Because when I was seven or eight years old, and so in many respects, I have no, no memory of what's pre-choices or pre, because my parents and family were working on bettering themselves when, almost my entire life. Yeah. But I can, when I look back today and look at my friends and some other people's lives, I can see, oh, it's not normal to sit around the, the dinner table and have your parents start asking you all these really deep, personal, inquisitive questions. That's something that's not kind of a typical topic for a family. My family, my parents joke and that they used to test out new processes and new ideas <laughs> on my sister and I at the dinner table to see how we'd react and what we would talk about. And so that was kind of my, my life, my upbringing. And it was much later that I realized, oh, it's, this is hard for people. This can be challenging. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, I just, I consider myself lucky that my, my mom and dad and grandmother cared enough about themselves but also cared about me enough to want to become better, to want to become leaders in their lives and to give me those, those gifts of uh, opening my brain and allowing me to go for whatever I wanted to and then understand that there's challenges and things are going to get in my way and give me some skills to work around those. So what has been your greatest lesson in the past 10 years doing this? My greatest lesson in the past 10 years has probably been that I'm in I'm 100% accountable for my life that that 
blaming, that criticism, that um, trying to escape, put it on someone else the way things didn't go well, uh, doesn't do me any good. That I, I have right now to do whatever I want to do with my life, to do whatever I think is best, and to continue forward and work for those really, really, really big dreams of mine. And publishing a book was a huge dream of mine. The Little Dyslexic Boy publishing a book was a huge dream, yeah. huge win for me. And it's up to me. And it's up to me every single day, right? Thinking right now, what's the best thing that I can do for me? What gives me the most fulfillment? What gives me the most drive? What puts a smile on my face? My little boy is watching me every moment. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is he going to take away from this moment? And I want him to live life with passion and joy and be doing really cool big dreams. Because those big dreams, they don't just happen. They won't just fall in my lap. I have to put forth the effort and then they will happen. That's, that's what I've learned over the 10 years. It's up to me. Absolutely. So one of the things that I, I love to ask, especially because you're a first-time author, what did it feel mm-hmm. like to open the box with the book? <laughs> that, that was like... It's real. Oh my goodness. It is real. It happened. It's here. It's in my hands. It's a, something that's going to live forever more. Yes. And I did something that has been a goal of mine for four years. Four years I worked towards it. And it's, you already, I've read it. Was, it's not easy. It's challenging. There's roadblocks. It's all true. It's all true. Yeah. And I just kept moving, keep moving the boulders out of the way, keep moving forward. And it was, it's probably one of the, the, one of the biggest wins in my life. Not the biggest, but one of the biggest wins in my life to open that book, open yeah. that box and see the book there. Yeah. One of the things you just said about what you put in here and, and it hit me just as soon as you said it, I'm like the alchemist, Paulo Coelho. Yeah. It's a great book. It's the, I, when I first listened to that book, I, well, I listened to it on audio. And I was driving to a conference and on my way there, I just broke into tears. I was, I was a wreck by the time I got to the conference. I'm wiping my face, reapplying makeup. <laughs> but one of the things that you just said is that these words are going to live on forever, right? They are going to impact many people for years to come. And I think this is why I think it's so important that if you have a goal, you have a dream, Mm -hmm. you have a book that you're inspired to write, that you go and do that. Because it is very true that those words will continue for years and years. People will look Mm -hmm. back at this book and they will pick up nuggets that can completely transform their life. Mm -hmm. Can I add to that just a little bit, Deborah? Absolutely. I'm right right on point with you. And I think sharing that dream, that goal, is a, a big for lots of people it's a big leap and it's really necessary because there's people there are people in my life that were just waiting for me to say what i was ready going to do next and then they were out there supporting what can i do how can i help you and that's what i truly believe about um, it's back to the alchemist that that the, your friends your community your loved ones are right there they want you to do that big dream and they'll do they'll support you they absolutely will support you and so i encourage people to take a deep breath and then step into it and say you know what this is my dream can you help me get there and people will they want to and i think one of the biggest things i've realized in in the process and journey of life is once you make a decision to do something 
the world adjusts around you. Mm-hmm. You know, people think, oh, well, you know, I have kids or I work full time or how can I do that? It's not the time that's the issue. It's not the people around you necessarily that are the issue. It's you deciding that it's that important to you to put in the work, mm-hmm. to really go after it and see yourself actually holding the book, feeling the book. And Because when I saw it posted, I'm like, okay, I'm ordering the book. I'm going to read it. I'm going to interview him. That's it. Um, because this fight or flight is so important. So how did the idea for this book come about? The fight or flight? Mm-hmm better decisions to enjoy your life? It's, it's based on a process from choices. And what I, the process and choices is approximately 45 minutes or an hour long. And what I did is I took a really deep dive into how our adrenal gland, uh, how the flight or flight mechanism, how it really impacts our decision making. And I think it's, it's, easy, it's easy to understand. It's something that everyone deals with because everyone has this, this reaction, this uh, fight or flight mechanism alive inside of them. And it's a part of our life. And it's a wonderful gift when we use it, when it's supposed to be used. And when when we're in danger, this is when it's designed to be used. Mm -hmm. However, when we allow um, fear, when we allow our fears to take over, because our body can't, our brains can't distinguish very well between fear and danger. And so if you're in danger, your fight or flight mechanism is going to get kicked off and wonderful, it should. However, when you're, when you're in a fearful state, there's no physical danger to you. Your fight or flight mechanism most likely will get kicked off also, but it doesn't serve a good purpose. It, 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 um, it can be, actually, it can be damaging to your body if you live in that state day on day, week on week, month on month, year on year. That's not the way it's really designed to work inside of us. And so we have to, to use our brain. We have to use our thinking brain in order to regain control and come back to a healthier state because um, it's not good for us to stay in that state of fear and that state of adren- adrenaline. Yeah, because we make different decisions when we are making decisions based on fear versus if I step back and check mm-hmm. out the facts and question mm-hmm. the fear. Um, people will do things that they probably normally wouldn't do. And then they question the results that they get in their life. Yeah, that is is right on. And I think what it does is, excuse me, it, it focuses, well, the short, the fight or flight mechanism focuses on short term, short term survival. Mm -hmm. Now, whenever it's a fear, I mean, one of the examples I always give is your boss coming in saying, I need a presentation tomorrow on this topic for this length of time. And you're going to get kicked into fight or flight. It's a shock. It's an unexpected event. You get a rush of adrenaline. And all of that comes through on your body. And everybody's watching and picking up on those little signals you're sending. And you run the risk of either deciding or someone deciding for you, mm, better no. You know, better not risk that fear. Better not risk that being fear of judgment in front of my colleagues. I better play it small. And that's really short-term thinking when we can get a hold of ourselves and think long-term, what it means for our career, what it means for our relationship, what's the best decision for me, not right here, right now, but over the next year, number of years, then we make really good decisions for ourselves. But making short-term decisions based on fear doesn't work for us. Yeah. So when you find yourself in an emotionally fearful position, 
you know, I, I joke around with people. I'm like, as long as you're breathing, you're good. <laughs> and, you can, and you can interrupt the cycle by first taking a deep breath. Yes. Right. But what are some strategies or tips that you would recommend when someone finds themselves in that emotionally fearful position? What would be something mm -hmm. that they can do so that they don't make decisions that will impact them for the right. rest of their lives? So here are the two biggest things and you already nailed one about breathing, but I'm going to start with the other one is if, if, if you, if your listeners, if you can recognize that you're in that state, it's, it's a challenge because you feel like you're uh, in a, you're in a dangerous situation in a way, but that fear is taking over. If you can recognize your signs, that might be different for everyone. Your palms start to sweat. Your breathing may become very shallow. Your, your heart will race. Your stomach may feel like it has butterflies or that it's dropping down. All those are physical reactions to the fight or fight to the adrenaline. You can recognize that that's going on inside of you. That's the first cue. That's the earliest cue that you can have in order to do something different. Instead of allowing it to increase and go down this road, and you nailed it, Deborah. if you can stop yourself and take a really deep breath, it doesn't have to be obvious. You can just say, what I used to say is, Greg, take a deep breath. Breathe right now. If you take the deep breath, what it does is it slows your heart rate. It calms your, the, your, your blood pressure down. And it regains. What you've done is you've just re-engaged your thinking brain. And then you, can, then you can make the best decision for yourself. So those are the two big, like you've solved 80% of the challenge right there by doing those two things in the moment of uh, that unexpected event. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I have tabbed and put sticky notes in your book. So I have a few questions for you. One of them, um, just for our audience, I'm just going to take it right from the book here and have you expand on it, Greg. Um, how many loving opportunities have been lost due to your brain going through the worst case scenario? We have opportunities and possibilities that are presented to us mm -hmm. on a regular basis. and when we think of fears coming up and how many times has fear taken over right before uh, you move into the mindset of enjoyment and probably mm -hmm. move into more of a self doubt. Can you expand on that a little bit more for us? Yes, absolutely. I think that is one of the, if you allow the, that fear to build inside of you, if you allow the fight or flight mechanism to play out over and over again, that worst case scenario is the place you'll end up. It's like, it's the end of the world, the relationships breaking up or the, the promotion or job never happens or you get in front of the audience and you, you, you totally bomb, you forget everything you're gonna say. Now, that's really easy to get, really easy to, get to very quickly in that mindset of short-term thinking. Whenever you take a step back, whenever you can talk it with a friend or whenever you can decide inside of yourself, let me really think about if this is really realistic, then you get to very quickly, you know what, no, I've done this X number of times. No, that person really does love me and care about me and wants the best for me. I'm not gonna act this way. I'm not gonna allow myself to just react or go to the worst case scenario of us ending the relationship. I'm gonna go to a place of, of love and we're gonna be there together, support each other, and I'm gonna come out on top because 
that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Life's about those big wins, about those dreams coming true. And real easily, we can rob ourselves of those before even starting if we live in a fearful place, if we live in a place of adrenaline-filled life. Yeah. And I think people need to catch those fears early, that self-doubt early, so it doesn't stop them from a mission like writing a book, to have those words last for centuries, to make an impact, whether it be volunteering, whether it be writing the book, write it, going in front of a class, whatever it is for that person. And I love how Julia Cameron refers to the artist's way that everybody's craft no matter and it's not necessarily that you're thinking that you're an art artist you're a sculptor or a painter the artist is whatever your craft is that you hone you share with other people that creative and innovative side of you mm-hmm. and um as you were speaking you know talking about the fear and preventing yourself from moving forward i know that the fear of hearing feedback and we talked a little bit about feedback earlier is really that rejection. Yeah. They're rejecting me. I'm no longer of value or um, my worth has gone down. And that's not, not the case at all. I, I see it as, as love to help someone go to a better place, to get to a better place. Oftentimes we can't see what, uh, what is holding us back most in life or maybe what we're talking about right now. What is the biggest roadblock in me obtaining my dream? Maybe I do need some outside information and assistance to take a step back and see what is going on. Why can't I step into this and obtain this goal, this dream of mine? And maybe one little nugget of one wise word from a person that really loves you and cares about is what you need. Because if I sit there and try to figure out all my problems and solve all my issues, I'm as smart as one person. Hmm. But whenever I get my friends and family around me and say, you know, help me, tell me what's going on, what's holding me back, then I'm as smart as all of these people in my life. And now that is powerful. That's when you have your clan, the people beside you, you have people rooting for you, going rooting for your dreams, rooting for you to have your biggest successes in your life. And that's the state place that I want to get to. And I think that's what I want everyone to get to in their life is people rooting for you and obtaining your dream, whatever it is. Like you said, it doesn't have to be writing a book. That's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. But but living your dreams, that's where passion is. That's where the gasoline of of life comes about. That's where we get to do really cool things with our life. And that's for everybody. That's for everybody. Everybody. (laughs) And one of the things is, I think, you know, when people hit those roadblocks and, you know, I know, you know, it takes some time to write a book, but, when people hit those roadblocks, they often think that it's this or that. There's only mm. these two options. And I've caught, mm. I've caught myself personally in that as well. It's either mm. a yes or a no. These are the two options. Yet, mm. if we expand our thinking, there can be so much more. Mm-hmm. That is a huge trap. Uh, I think that's a huge trap, period. But it's definitely a huge trap of the fight or flight. Is the either, I call it either or thinking, this or that. Mm-hmm. And it's so not true. We say, well, it's either fight or it's flight. Either I fight this out again with my spouse or I shut down and then they win. That is such, I mean, it's a lose-lose is what's being set up in that situation. Only when we take a step back once again and re-engage the brain and think there are all, there's an unlimited amount of ways to meet this roadblock. There's an unlimited amount of ways 
to have this conversation. There's an unlimited amount of ways to reach this point where we can both have what we want in a relationship. Then that's where life moves forward. That's when we can respect and love each other and the relationship, that third entity can become more and grow between the, the two individuals. And definitely become more, uh, more powerful force mm -hmm. in the world um, as a team working together. Yeah. And that's, and once again, that's back to what you're saying. I'm not, well, as a one, as an individual, I'm powerful, but not as powerful as I can be with everyone on my side that's, uh, that has my back in life. Beautifully said. So we're almost at the end of the interview, Greg. We could keep talking about yeah, no, we could. I would I love could. to nerd out with you here. <laughs> um, but we've come near the end of the interview, and I have two questions I always ask my guests. Yeah. What is one book that has had an impact in your life? Okay. This is a, this is, I'm just going to go with the first book that popped into my, my mind that had a big impact on my life. And the, the title is The Road to Calcutta. And very short, it's about an a, a individual who went to live in the, the poverty-stricken areas of Calcutta and lived amongst them and gained knowledge and faced the same challenges. And that was the book that really led me to go into the Peace Corps and to work with small businesses in order to give it away and improve people's lives was my goal in Honduras. Yeah. That was probably the, the, the book that um, at that point in my life had the biggest impact on me. And what did it, what shift did it make for you? What was the one thing that you took away that like we're talking about your book um, mm. that you took the one thing away from it to move the forward? Nugget, the nugget that I took away from that book yeah. is that I have, and this probably goes for a vast majority of your audiences, I have, we have a very blessed life. We live in countries, parts of the world that are incredibly blessed. We have things that other areas of the world can only dream of and it's part of my goal in life in order to lift people up so that they can have a little piece of of the joy and freedom that we share in our beautiful countries that's what set my direction is not everyone is so blessed and lucky excellent so it reframed you for even a greater place of gratitude which oh, yeah. is the driver of many things mm-hmm so my final question for you is, what does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? What it means to me is that I, I, uh, it's my life to live. I get one life and it's, I have free will and I can sit on the couch all day and watch you know, the next episode, the next episode, the next episode, or I can get busy writing another book and create nuggets for people to find along the way so that they can have better lives and so they can have their dreams so they can live in passion and so they can have the relationships that they've always dreamed of that maybe they're not so sure can be obtained right now that's what i want the people to have is they to create their own opportunities to have wonderful lives incredible wisdom greg Thank you uh, for sharing all these nuggets. I know that our audience is going to be taking away so many, you know, it, it, I know if you're driving, you're not going to be able to take notes. You're going to have to re-listen um, at any time. But there are so many nuggets that you've shared with us today. How can people stay in touch with you and sure. um, social media as well? 
Yeah, so we have the website. It's wisdomisthebeginning.com. That'll be the name of my second book that I would love to come back uh, this year and talk to you about early next year, Deborah. And then, or you can find us on Instagram with the same name, Wisdom is the Beginning. We're on both those uh, platforms. Well, Gregory B. Davis, I know that there will be many more books in your future. And uh, you've just started on a brand new journey. And I can't wait to hear about all the lives that you transform. Thank you for joining us here on the Millionaire Woman Show. Thank you, Deborah. Can I say thank you to you too for opening up your podcast to me? And I'm really excited and congratulations on four years and over 250 episodes. Total respect for you. Total yeah. respect. Thank you so much. This is our anniversary edition, making sure that people win. They're going ahead with a win, this fight or flight, making better decisions to enjoy your life. And I can't think of an even better way for people to move forward as we go into our next year of podcasting to help people make better decisions so that it impacts life, leadership, business, um, can ripple to many areas of their lives. I would also love for everyone to go over to iTunes, rate and review this episode, share it with your friends so that more people can take away these nuggets of information. You can also go over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com where you can get your free download right now of Making Habits Stick where you can get, it's a three-part audio course, video course, and that you can put habits and consistency together in place so you can knock those goals and dreams out of the park and actually make them a reality. As Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And on behalf of Gregory and myself, go out and make today great.